If you have your Bibles, you'll turn with me to Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to be in Genesis 1, 2, a little bit in 3. We're going to look at a little bit in Ephesians 5 today. As we continue, we're in part 3 of a sermon series, God's Family Values. Uh, we had a series called, We Are Family, We Are Part of God's Family. What grace has God given to us that he calls us and loves us as his own? Now, being connected to the family in Christ, he's the one who sets the family values. It's not up to us. It's up to him. So this is so important. We've talked about a, a worldview that's so important, a Christian worldview. We've talked about the value of life uh, this week and uh, or last week. And this week, we're taking an easy little subject, genders. Again, happy Father's Day to everyone that's a father. This is truly one of my happiest. I love Father's Day because of all the titles that God has given me, and he's given me many, and I'm very grateful. One I love is pastor and love being your pastor, but to be called father. And what a blessing that is to my four, uh, to have four beloved children. I love the fact all are in the kingdom. Uh, all love the Lord and love the church, and I'm so grateful for it. On Father's Day, I'm so grateful for a godly father that is still with us, 90 years. Dad, happy Father's Day to you. I wish you were here with us. I'm so grateful for a godly father-in-law who is with Jesus. Uh, I'm so grateful for this day. But I know the reality. It's a tough day for many of you. Many of you, Father's Day is not your favorite day. Maybe you had a bad father. Maybe you have lost your father, maybe even recently, or maybe you haven't become a father, and that was something that you longed for. But remember, our Heavenly Father is always worth celebrating. So let me say to you, happy Heavenly Father's Day, right? We're going to look to him today and every day. And I'm so grateful that in our canceled culture that we haven't canceled Father's Day, right? That we haven't canceled Father's Day, that we can celebrate Father's Day. My goodness, can we celebrate males on a day like today? Uh, you know, in our times, it may not be politically correct to have a day that celebrates fathers or celebrate males. And I think it's very interesting that on this Father's Day, there is a word that is fading from our culture, and the word that's fading from our culture is woman. Interestingly, it's fading from our culture uh, it's losing its place in society. Um, matter of fact, a New York Times article back on October 28th of last year, the article was written, the word woman is being erased from some segments of society. That, woman is, that word woman is disappearing. As a matter of fact, the ACLU uh, recently was going to quote uh, former um, past Supreme Court Justice Ruth Ginsburg and they quoted her, and, then, and Ruth Ginsburg stated, the decision, this is about abortion, the decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. Well, the ACLU quotes her recently, but guess what? Didn't tell anybody, dropped the word woman and put person in there. So it's the dignity of a person. We live in a culture where we have pregnant people. Uh, we no longer are told that it's breastfeeding, it's chest feeding has replaced that. 
And even in the uh, abortion debate, isn't it interesting, even in the debate that rages around us about life, we talked about that last week in abortion, the, war, the word woman is being erased from that conversation. And then you have things like this. University of Pennsylvania transgender swimmer, swimmer Leah Thompson Thomas won the NCAA Division I 500-yard freestyle in the Women's National Championship. There was a bit of protest. Uh, the Concerned Women from America CEO and President Penny Nance said, the future of women's sport is at risk and the equal rights of female athletes are being infringed. You think so? Um, they say a male-bodied person competing in a sport with females, no matter how much testosterone levels or whatever they do, it's unfair. And I don't know if you've noticed, but those who would try to voice a concern against, against that are told to be quiet. Interesting. The word woman being erased from even our culture, women's sports. We live in a time where gender is being redefined. We know that. Gender dysphoria is running absolutely rampant. And today we will examine what God says about gender in his word. And it's very important for us. It's part of God's family values. So we're going to look at this this morning. God's family values. He values genders. We're going to look at who created genders. And I know you know the answer, but it's important. Uh, how God created genders. Why God created genders. This is all so important for us to know as the church and Christians to be able to um, stand up in our culture, and then we're going to look at how sin has affected genders, and lastly, how the church should respond to the gender issue. Now, let me make sure that you know that my matter on this issue or my, my opinion on any other matter doesn't matter, but God's opinion does. So we look to God's word. That's where we find uh, where he, what he thinks. Uh, so we're going to start we were here last week. Uh, we're here again this week. I'm going to read some other scriptures, but we're going to start this morning by picking up again the creation story. We are picking up the story on day six. There is a pause in creation. Uh, God is going to rally together. There's going to be a council that's going to make the capstone of creation, a man and woman, and his image. We're going to read verses 26, and I'll read through the entire rest of chapter 1 through 31. Let's be mindful. This is God's holy and errant word. It'll never lead us astray. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our, our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three times God created in that verse alone. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. Um, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree 
with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it is so. And God saw that he, well, everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. And I think I jumped ahead of you guys. Did I, did I, I think that the, uh, I'm going to come back to the Genesis passage uh, in my points, okay? So let's try that again. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how beautifully it is written because it was each word inspired by the Holy Spirit. God, we marvel at your word and the beauty of a story that is told, one overarching story through 66 books written primarily in Hebrew and Greek over thousands of years. What an incredible word of God that you have given to us. In this word, we see that you have revealed who you are to us. In this world, we see that you've revealed who we are to you. And in this word, we see of how desperately we need your son, Jesus, as our Savior. And we need your Holy Spirit to bring us life. Now, Father, I thank you for your word that is living and active. I thank you that it is sweet to the taste, sweeter than honey. Um, and God, we thank you that you have given us this word. And now I ask that the, the words of my mouth and then the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. That's right from Psalm 19. Uh, God, I pray that you would come and join us. We're going to talk about uh, a hot topic, an important topic, and honestly, a topic I never thought I'd preach on gender. Didn't think there'd ever be a need to preach on gender. But God, in the times we live, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of people would want to rewrite what you have told us. God, we want to hear what you say. So speak through a broken sinner like me. Give us ears to hear your voice. God, give us minds that understand your word. Give us hearts that would embrace your truth. God, encourage Give us feet that would walk in a manner worthy of your name. Oh, Lord, we need to walk in the midst of a very crooked and dark generation in a manner worthy of your name. The things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten. But the things that are said that are true, according to your word, that reflect your character, that point to your son, would you use those things to make us more like Jesus? And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. First thing we want to know is who created genders. Uh, well, we see in God's word, he makes it very clear from the very beginning that it is God who created male and female. Genders is God's creation. And watch this. Gender is God's idea. It was his idea from the very beginning. Uh, it was something that he created. So we see the value of genders, the value of male and female is directly linked to who God is, right? So the value of God and the one who created that, that's where we're going to find our value in, in genders, both male and female. We see that God made both 
equal, they're equal, sorry, I've got to sneeze, um, it went away, he made both male and female equal in value, uh, both are made in his image, not just one, he made male in his image, this is so important, and he made female in his e image, so therefore, that's where we find value, but it's also in God we find purpose, the purpose of gender, and even in Genesis 1 and further in Genesis 2 and throughout the Bible, we will see what is the purpose for male and female. From the very beginning, God says, well, let them, them being plural, both male and female, let both of them have dominion over creation. This is very important. God made us in his image. Theologians will call us vice regents. We are to reign on earth for God. We represent God here on earth. We are to fill the earth with his glory. We are to reign and rule. We are to subdue this earth uh, for his glory. So what does that mean? Well, we bring light into where there's darkness, right? We bring order to where there's chaos. We bring beauty into the void. This is what God has done and created us to do. We can't do it apart from him but we do it uh, through him. He gives us our, our, our purpose. And again, why do you create genders? Well, what does he say? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the entire earth, subdue the earth. Now, it's interesting because it's always been God's call for God's people to be fruitful and multiply, right? It's always been God's desire for us is to fill the earth with his glory through his people. That's us, right? So being fruitful and multiply, by the way, you can't without genders. We're going to get to that in a minute. Um, but even think of Jesus. In Jesus, when at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, what's called the Great Commission, what does he do? He's going to bless his disciples. And he's going to challenge them. He says, hey, by the way, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and multiply. Uh, go and fill the earth. Go and subdue it. So who created genders? God created a male and female, but God did more than that. God blessed them. We got to see that. It very clearly says God blessed them. What God blesses, we must bless too, right? What God blesses, we must bless too. What God values, we must value as well. What God establishes, we must not mess with. No matter what culture says, no matter where we find ourselves, He is God. He is the authority. He is the one. He has blessed genders. We must bless them too. So how does God, how God created genders? I love this. I don't know if you see it. It's so beautiful. The beautiful writing inspired by the Spirit, the beautiful poetry of Genesis 1 and 2 is absolutely incredible. How God created genders. I'm going to read now. If we can go back to Genesis 2, 7 and then 15 through 23, if you want to, by the way, the Bible's in front of you, if you want to follow along, that's easier for you. So let's pick back up the story, there's a creation account in 1 and 2, and 2 verse 7, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it, by the way, work is not a uh, bad thing even before a curse man was created to work so he put us in there uh, to work the garden and keep it and the Lord God commanded the man saying you may surely eat of every tree of the garden but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat 
For in the day you shall eat of it, you shall die. We know how that ends. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. And he brought them, this is so cool, we're going to get to this. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But Adam, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the, and the, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, whoa, maybe you missed that in the Hebrew. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay, so how did God make genders? Well, we find out that God created man from dust. <laughs> kind of humbling, right? Uh, we are made from dust, and guess where we're going to return? To dust, from dust to dust, ashes to ashes. God makes this amazing masterpiece from dust. But God not only created man from dust, watch this. God created woman from man's need. Now all you women are going to say amen. Um, from man's need. God said that there was one thing not good in paradise. And that was God, that, that man was alone. I love that. I mean, he's created everything. Remember at the end of chapter one, he looked at everything and said, hey, this is good. This is really good. Man in my image, excellent. But there was one thing, even in paradise, that was not good. And because and that reality was, is that man was alone. And God is going to show Adam what he already knew, that it wasn't good that he was alone, that God's plan couldn't be fulfilled, that there wasn't a helper suitable for him. So how does God show Adam his need? This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is so good. How does he do it? Well, he brings the animals to Adam to name. So you might want to say, well, what's going on here? It's very important for us to see what's going on here. Um, it's not that God ran out of names. It's not that God uh, didn't think it was valuable to name a hippopotamus, hippopotamus, and a giraffe, a giraffe. He brought them to man to show specifically, man, I've made you in my image, and you are to have dominion for me. You're to rule for me. And so I'm going to give you the ability, the right to name the animals. It shows dominion. Fathers, what are the names of your sons? William Preston Talby III. You had the dominion and authority as a father to name your son. Um, Jeffrey Peter Jake Jr. Caleb Ward Jake. I mean, so as a father, we name our children or those whom the, uh, God has given to us to have dominion over, right? So how cool is it that God gives to Adam the ability to name all of the animals because he's got dominion over them, but God has another plan. God is showing Adam what he already knows, that he is alone. There's not one fit for him. He does not have a helper. I mean, God's plan is not complete without a woman. And so he's going to make a woman. 
Now, I've told this before, and I, I can't get over it, but I, I just got in my mind's eye that when Adam was naming the animals and he was looking for a helpmate fit for him, that the dog was a golden retriever. And the golden retriever came, and he fetched, and he sat, and he just did all the things that a good golden retriever did. And I can only picture Adam saying, this is my helpmate, this is my helpmate, this is my helpmate. And this is, this is it. And I tell you, he might have found a best friend there, but he did not find a suitable helpmate. So God made a helper. God made a helper. And the Hebrew word for helper is ezer. For those of you who are women here who have read this passage poorly, and you read it and said, oh, this stinks, I'm a mamby-pamby helper, let me first of all say that man wasn't strong enough for God's plan. He needed a warrior. He needed a helper. So God made an ezer. He made a helper. And don't forget, God himself calls himself an ezer. He is an ever-present helper in times of trouble. So a name that God refers himself to, we should never disparage. This is a good thing. Uh, this is what God has given. So God created man from woman from man's own substance. God took a rib from Adam and made it Eve. I know there's a funny joke with what can I give for a rib. You know, I, I, I didn't put it in here. So, um, But you know what I love, and you've probably heard this at some of your weddings. There was a, there was a, a man named Matthew Henry, a nonconformist preacher that was born in uh, Wales, uh, grew up most of his life in England. Uh, and he said this about Eve. It's beautiful. So hear this. Um, Eve was not taken out of Adam's head to top him, neither out of his feet to be trampled on by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. So God created woman from man's own substance. God made woman for man to help man equal with different roles and the same purpose, God's glory. Equal, different roles. God created woman even out of man's own substance. Why God created gender. I want to read verses 24 through 25 and then finish the end of Genesis 2. Therefore, God says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so the question is now, we've looked at a lot of things, but, you know, why? Why did God create genders? Well, the first thing is this, to accomplish his plan. If his plan is to fill the earth with his glory, watch this. If his plan is to take the image bearer that he made to fill the earth with his glory, the only way you accomplish this plan is by having a male and a female. You cannot be fruitful and multiply without it. You cannot fill the earth without it. It cannot be done without male and female. Now, I know we live in a time where, where um, you could take a, a, a male sperm and an egg you could put it in a dish. You can have a lot of different ways to produce a child now. I think it is never God's intention that way, but God oftentimes blesses someone who couldn't in another way, which is fantastic. But the bottom line is, no matter what we say, you've got to have a male and a female to multiply. And this is God's plan. It was God's plan. Why did he do it? To, so we can multiply, to accomplish God's plan. But there's more than this. I believe 
It's also to reflect God's triune nature. This is, this is really cool. The Bible teaches us that there is one true and living God. The Bible tells us that there's only one God, this eternal, almighty God. He and he alone is God. This is true of the eternal God. But let me tell you, this one God, Scripture reveals to us, it doesn't tell us right in the beginning. It tells us something new in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that there's a counsel of God, that God says, let us. Who's the us? And as you read through Scripture, you're going to realize by the power of the Holy Spirit that God exists in three persons. These are three separate persons, yet one God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, don't believe that God the Father became God the Son and became God the Holy Spirit. That's a heresy called modalism. No, no. There is one true living God. There is God the Father. There's God the Son. There is God the Holy Spirit. These three are separate persons and yet one. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. I find it interesting that as soon as God creates two, what's the first thing God does? He's got a male and now he's got a female. What's the first thing he does? He he officiates a wedding. The first thing he does is he makes the two one. As soon as he has two, he makes them one. And he will say, the two shall become one flesh. He marries them. Uh, One flesh. Why? Because watch this. It's really cool. True reflection of God's triune nature. Separates yet one. God wants you to be made in his image. He's going to make us in his image. He's going to make male in his image and female in his image. And no matter what you say in this current culture, a male is different than a female. There's different body types. They're different. They're different. And so watch this. God's story is not fully, his image isn't complete without male and female. It's more, it more perfectly reflects who he is. Triune God, one. And as soon as he makes two, he brings them together as one. Not only does it reflect the triune nature of God, it's also to reflect Christ's unity with his church. Uh, I'm going to read to you a very familiar passage. You've heard this read at all weddings. Uh, Sometimes you might read them as husband and wife. Uh, It's important for us to get this. But when I read this, um, I want you to hear, I want you to hear how this text is woven into Christ and his church. There's times that you wonder, is Paul talking about the church or is he talking about marriage? Because the similarities he's making with the church and with marriage are so closely linked and you hardly can tell. What is it? And I think the point is marriage should reflect who God is in Christ with his church. Beautiful. Listen to God's word. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the church, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her, the church, by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be, uh, that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, quoting Genesis 2, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, Paul writes. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects the husband. Was that about marriage or was that about a church? Yep. That's what it was about, wasn't it? And so don't you see that marriage is to also reflect something of who God's character is and how we are one in Christ Jesus and that we are united in Christ Jesus? The mystery of Christ's union with his church is reflected in the union between a man and a woman. We have become one with Christ. If you're a Christian, we've become one with him. We've looked at this in that first week of this. His life is our life. His crucifixion, our crucifixion. His death, our death. With this oneness. And now this oneness in marriage is to reflect our oneness in Christ and the church. So marriage should be a reflection of Christ's unity with his church. Of course God hates divorce. Of course God, because God is the one who, who instituted marriage. And his love story is a part of our love story. He wants to tell his story through us. That's why marriage is to be held sacred by all. So let's, let's, uh, let's turn the corner a little bit and say, how has sin affected gender? I've read to you the last couple of weeks out of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, the whole story pivots. Because we do that which God has asked us not to do. Adam and Eve will eat the forbidden fruit. They will experience a spiritual death. They eventually will die. There's an immediate separation from holy God. And everything that they touch and everything that is has been cursed and broken because of the fall. And the reality of what sin is, why it's so heinous and horrible, is sin ultimately separates us from the God who made us. They were driven from the garden. Immediately sin happens. And what do Adam and Eve do? Who used to walk with God in the cool of the evening. How cool is that? I don't even know what that looked like, but I know it's cool. And all of a sudden, those made in God's image, made for God, what are they doing once they sin? They hide from God. And they hide from one another. Because sin separates us from God. They are not only separated. When we are separated from God, watch this. When we are separated from God, we lose our identity and we lose our purpose. Separated from God, we don't know who we are. And we don't know what we're to do. And we see that culture is so far separated from God that we've lost identity and lost purpose. But we also have to see this. Sin has broken everyone's sexuality. I have a dear friend named Jim Cofield for many years. He was out at Reformed Theological Seminary leading uh, training counselors to be counselors. I would buy him breakfast at Bagel King in Castleberry every Monday morning, and I'd get, uh, give him breakfast. I got free counseling. Fantastic, right? Um, but one of the things he said in our conversation I'll never forget, he just reminded of the reality that there's no one here, there's no one who's ever been, whose sexuality hasn't been broken by sin. 
Your sexuality's been broken by sin, so is mine. Some of that brokenness in sexuality leaves people confused. Am I male or am I female? What am I to do? Who am I? Who am I to pursue? Who am I to love? Uh, who am I attracted to? I think sin has, attract, uh, has broken people to the point where I, I don't know the, the physics or the biology of this, but some people seem to be born with more of a propensity for one thing or another. We've all been affected by sin. It's affected all of our sexuality. And sometimes society say that's a perversion we can't handle. Pedophilia, horrible. I mean, but adultery, horrible. Lust, horrible, right? Uh, I mean, it's, it's all of us. And so I think it's important for us to embrace this reality so we don't cast stones at others. I, I, uh, I find that Robbie is a very attractive man, but I find him to be a man that I have no desire for other than a brother in Christ. A high five from Robbie is all I want, ever, ever. That's not my brokenness, but I got to be careful that I can't judge your brokenness because my brokenness is different. Church, everyone's sexuality has been broken. And gender dysphoria is a result of the fall. As a result of the fall, people don't know what they should be. And we live in a time now thinking it's a good idea that elementary age students should choose who they should be. So how is the church to respond to gender issues? Number one, in a Christ-like manner, right? We should respond in a Christ-like manner. That should be our worldview. John chapter 1 tells us about Jesus, and it says this. It says, I love it. John 1 is going to tell us that this eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's going to tell us that Moses gave us the law, but watch this. But Jesus filled with grace and truth. Jesus filled with grace and truth. So how should we respond in a Christ-like way? Filled with grace and truth, right? Uh, that's how we should respond, like Jesus. Now watch this. Truth without grace cannot be swallowed. Truth without grace can't be swallowed. So we just tell people, hey, man, turn or burn, bro. You know, what's the matter with you? Why are you struggling with this? Turn and burn. I mean, God hates this behavior. And therefore, you got to stop it. Okay, there's some truth, but I'm telling you, there wasn't grace. And it's not going to go over well. But then again, grace without truth cannot be helpful. Grace without truth cannot be helpful. I mean, I'll, it, it, you know, when I read the articles preparing for this, you know what was the one thing that people cannot tolerate is hate. And hate means that you're against anything. You can't speak up. That's hateful. You can't share the truth. That's hateful. I mean, avoid everything but being hateful. Let me tell you what Scripture says. Abhor evil. Hate it. Abhor it because it's abhorrent to a holy God. we got to learn. Teach us to hate what we should hate and love what we're to love, right? But we got to do grace with truth because just giving of grace, hey, man, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you respond. If that's right for you, go, go for it. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to embrace you. And I feel like, you know, our society feels like that's, that's the thing to do. Now, listen, if God is true and God's word is truth, the most loving thing we do is speak truth. If God is truth and God's word is truth, the most loving thing we can do is speak truth. It's not popular. I mean, we, 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 have, we have kids and grandkids and dear friends, 
that, that are struggling. You got to love them. This grace and truth has got to go hand in hand. So I told you this in the very beginning. We as the church, as Christians, we got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's a lot of thoughts coming our way. They're pouring in on our, our phones, our computers, anything you pick up information from. Thoughts are being poured your way that are not from the Lord. I mean, they are, they are of this world. And it may have logic to the world. And it may be, you know, but I'm telling you, take every thought captive. What are they saying? And be a good Berean, as Paul would say. Examine God's word. What does God's word say about this? Take every thought captive. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. Secondly, do not conform to this world, but be transformed, right? By the renewing of your mind, be transformed. The time is now. And then lastly, above all, put on love. Let's don't be throwing stones. Let's put on love. So let's stand up and speak truth. You know, I find it's amazing. What is happening? It's a removal of God's story. It's a removal of God's story is what's kind of being unraveled here. Last week we talked about life. And we started from the very beginning. Life is made in God's image. Let's, let's, let's say that life's not precious. Let's say that choice is more important than God's image. Okay? And let, let, let's, then, then God made male and female in his own image. Let's say that, that gender is, is, is fluid. Let's say that, you know, gender is not binary. It's, it's what you choose it to be. Let's them choose their own pronouns and, and what you would like to be called. It's taking away God's story there. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage, right? Let's redefine what marriage should be uh, to make it fit where we are. Um, we got to be careful because we got to look at what's happening in culture. It's taking God's word and say, whatever. And it's stripping one thing, the next, the next, the next. Um, that's where we find ourselves, church. All of us live in a society that is attacking truth, that is attacking the church. And what I am saying today um, is not going to be popular out there. But it's not just for me to say, it's for me to live, and for you too. Because we are a part of God's family. We must embrace God's family values. Now remember, this will bring us life. This will ultimately bring us joy. It might bring us some heartache. In this world, you want to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. But we must stand up God's truth. We must embrace God's truth. And we must winsomely proclaim God's truth. Amen? Let's pray. And Father God, I thank you for the fact that we started this sermon saying, you are the one who has to tell us who we are. And God, I am who you say I am. And I know that your word says very clearly in Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Romans 3, that there is no one who does good. No, not one. That I am born a sinner. I sin every day. And every day I cry out for a Savior named Jesus. That I am saved only by your grace, uh, through faith and the work, the blood and righteousness of Christ. That's my only hope. That's our only hope. But God, Christ is enough. His sacrifice was enough to banish our sin as far as the east is from the west and to open up heaven for us. We are yours. And we now have to not only embrace you, but embrace your word, embrace your values. We, we don't live in a culture anymore that share our values. They don't. They're antithetical. 
But God, may we do it in a way, the way you've treated us as sinners, winsomely, lovingly, patiently, boldly. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. God, fill our lives with grace and truth, we pray, to your glory. Amen.